0: Welcome to Community Connection this morning. We are happy to be with you. And of course, as most of you have probably realized, we have a, a leap year, February 29th this year. And, you know, obviously that's rare. It only happens every four years. And so we were blessed to have Chris Ostertag with us today. He is the director of mission services for the Eastern Region at OSF Healthcare, and he's going to talk about rare diseases. And Chris has a very personal story. And so um before we jump into that whole conversation, Chris, first, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me.
0: We are very glad to have you. And again, thank you so much for being willing to share. I, I can't even imagine. And, you know, I know that any is probably hard, but I think the awareness piece is, it sounds like you're a great advocate for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, February 29th. So, Um, The last day of February, which this year, of course, is February 29th being a leap year, is Rare Disease Day, which is a day that kind of shines a light and raises awareness around rare diseases in general. Um, And I am actually the bereaved parent of a child who had a rare disease and who passed away last year. Um, His name was Hans, and he had a rare disease that was a paroxysomal disorder. Um, Specifically, he had peroxisome biogenesis disorder, Zellweger spectrum disorder. Um, so a bit of a, a bit of a mouthful there. Um, but you know, there are so many rare diseases that affect so many people um, in this country and, and around the world. Um, so this, this last day of February is really just about kind of shining a light on the impact of rare disease. Mm -hmm.
0: So, Chris, I I can only imagine as uh, Hans started displaying symptoms, you and your wife were probably perplexed. What's going on? What is this? And if it's a rare disease, I imagine it wasn't something that was easily identified.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to share a little bit about our kind of diagnosis journey. So um, my son Hans was born in 2017. And, you know, we had a very normal pregnancy, you know, no concerns or anything like that. And and we had, a, you know, he was born at full term. So we kind of went into the hospital kind of, you know, business as usual, so to speak. And, um, you know, we weren't expecting anything to be, you know, wrong. And um, as soon as he was born, um, the doctors noticed what they called some dysmorphic features and Um, They described, you know, his fontanel, which is the soft spot on the top of your head. It was extremely large, Um, and he had, like, low muscle tone, even low for an infant, Um, and just a kind of a, a few other things that they noticed. And then before we left the hospital, he failed his newborn hearing screening. So they told us that, you know, these things, like, individually, in and of themselves, you know, not too much of a concern. But the fact that they saw all of these things, they were concerned there might be some sort of genetic diagnosis kind of in the background. Um, So we left the hospital with an appointment for genetics. And um, about a month and a half after he was born, we had another hearing test that confirmed that he actually did have bilateral hearing loss. And then uh, shortly thereafter, we had our genetics appointment. Um, and at that genetics appointment, you know, they go through a lot of the family history and ask about, you know, different conditions that are in the family and different things like that. Um, and then, you know, they did a really thorough kind of clinical exam of Hans. Um, and then they did some some blood tests and like some imaging and things like that. Um, one of the tests that they ordered was called a very long chain fatty acid test. And... We got the results from that blood test a few days later, and it almost for sure meant he had this diagnosis of a paroxysomal disorder. Uh, but in order to confirm that diagnosis, they, they wanted to draw some more blood and then actually get that blood sent off to do some sequencing of the particular gene that this disorder affects so that they could really confirm the diagnosis. Um, so by three months old, um, you know we had this diagnosis of a paroxysomal disorder, um, and unfortunately, you know it's a it's a it's a rare disorder. It's a it's a terminal disorder, so there's no uh, effective treatment or cure, um, and it was really hard because you know here you're a parent and you have a you know few month old child, and you're being told they have a genetic condition that there's no cure for, and one that will take his life far too soon.
0: Well, I'm very, very sorry that 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 happened. You know, again, I can't even imagine. And I'm just thinking as you're talking, so many uh, like buzzwords were jumping into into my head, like the people who, um, you know, first of all, to be able to diagnose it, that that was such a blessing to be able to have, um, you know, the means to go into the the hospital and the doctor's offices and testing that. But then again, you know, just the whole genetic history, I'm thinking of people who have been adopted or, you know, fostered and who don't have that genetic information. It's so vital.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think that You know, there's a lot. When I reflect back on on our journey and our experience, there's there's a lot that I'm grateful for, and and one of those things, right at the top of the list, is just having access to pediatric genetics. You know, um, that's that's not a a service that's that's everywhere, Um, and you know, pediatric specialists in general. You know, there there are a lot of places, you know, in this country and certainly around the world where there just isn't access to some of these specialists that can give parents and families the answers that they're looking for. Um, And, you know, another thing that I, you know, while, you know, it was, it was, it was terrible to receive this news, you know, because of what the disorder meant, we had an answer, you know, and for us like getting, being able to name it and understand what's going on meant that we were able to connect with other families who had the same disorder so we, there's a there's an organization called the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders. And literally this, the week that we got his diagnosis confirmed, um, we connected with this Facebook group of parents that have children with this disorder. And then that weekend, we actually were able to meet up in the Midwest with uh, two other families who had children with this disorder. So for us, like, you know, it's it's really isolating getting, you know, a rare disease diagnosis, something you've never heard of, something many of your doctors have never heard of or cared for a child with. So for us, like being able to connect with other families who had this experience was was so vital. And, you know, my heart really goes out to all of those those families that never get their diagnosis. And and there there are a lot. There's a there's a whole undiagnosed rare disease network where there are these families that, you know, they're on their diagnostic odyssey for years, sometimes decades, um, and sometimes never receiving an answer. Uh, So for us, we were just really grateful to be able to connect with our community.
0: Definitely. Well, let's go ahead and take our first break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of backtrack and start with, you know, your job at OSF, and then we're going to talk about how that relates with rare diseases. So we will be right back. Welcome back to Community Connection. Today we are speaking with Chris Ostertag from OSF. And Chris, um, again, just kind of backing up, talk about what you do with OSF.
1: Yeah, sure, happy to. So my role, I'm the Director of Mission Services um, for the Eastern region. So I serve four of our markets in Central and Eastern Illinois. Um, And, you know, OSF Healthcare is a Catholic healthcare system so a lot of my, what my role is, is, you know, kind of letting our new mission partners, our new physicians understand who we are, you know, what our mission is, what our values are, our history and our Catholic identity. Um, because, you know, not everyone that we have who works for us is, is Catholic or Christian and certainly not all of the communities we serve are Catholic or Christian so, in my role, it's a lot of kind of, you know, education and formation about who we are and our history. Um, and then just, you know, walking alongside leaders and mission partners in, in their respective roles and areas and just helping ensure that, you know, the things we do and the decisions we make are consistent with who we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, the more you talk, just like these things jump into my mind so I can think, uh, you know, I, I am a faith believer, and it was my faith who helped, what, that helped me get through so many things, especially um, my mom passed away, but it was like a six-month journey. And so I was so happy to be able to come into OSF and chapels and things like that and, and you know, experience that. But again, that's not everybody, and I certainly respect that. But I respect that that option is there for others, and, you know, I, I really respect OSF. Um, being a faith-based organization, a faith-based medical provider. So I appreciate that. I appreciate what you do. So thank you for that service. Um, you know, joining that with what happened to Hans and just the whole rare disease issue, what describes, what? what's the definition of a rare
1: disease? Yeah, so, you know, different countries have slightly different definitions. In the U.S., it's a disease that impacts 200,000 or less Americans, um, and like I said, other countries have pretty similar definitions. Um, and if you kind of blow that up on like a worldwide scale, um, there's an estimated between seven and ten thousand rare diseases worldwide. Um, they're discovering many more, you know, every year. And you know, collectively, rare disease impacts about one in ten people. So, you know, the rare disease community as a whole is made up of all of these really small, you know, particular rare diseases. But then when you think about the impact of rare disease as a whole, it's not so rare after all. I mean, impacting one in 10 is really significant.
0: Mm -hmm. And Chris, when I think about the healthcare crisis and, you know, just the lack of workers and that type of thing, I can see where the focus would be on. We have to look at the thing that affects tons of people. So I would think that you know when you're looking at rare diseases, that as much as as doctors and healthcare providers would want to delve into that, that they they might not be able to just from the practical point.
1: Yeah, and this is this is a real challenge. You know, when you think about um, pharmaceutical companies and you know different mm-hmm. treatments and drugs that are available it's, you know, it becomes increasingly difficult to do the research you need to develop drugs for rare diseases when you're dealing with such small patient populations. Um, you know, and just as an example, with, within our own rare disease, um, you know, uh, peroxisomal disorders are, are rare. Uh, there are diseases that are rarer than this, um, but our estimated incidence is one in every 50,000 50, live births um, is the incidence of a paroxysomal disorder. Um, but with this disorder, you know, many of the children pass away even before their first birthday. Um, so, you know, there's, there's not as many kind of living patients with this disorder. Uh, so within the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders, you know, we, we have about 500 families that are connected with us worldwide. Now, I'm sure there are more patients out there, um, but we just aren't connected with them yet. So when you think about, you know, numbers like that, and then you start thinking about, you know, different drugs or therapies and treatments, it just is really difficult. Because in order to do that research, you know, so much money needs to go into it to ensure that it's safe, to ensure that it's effective and things like that. And it becomes difficult, you know, in order to make that a priority when it impacts such a small patient population. Now, I will say, you know, that being said, there are a lot of common needs within the rare disease community in general. Um, so there's things that 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 researchers can do that would, you know, impact more than just you know a particular rare disease. You know, there's a lot of hope that, you know, you hear things on the news around like gene therapy, for instance. And, you know, there's a hope that, you know, as there's a kind of a breakthrough within one particular rare disease with a gene therapy, that we would really be able to apply kind of what worked and what was successful in that in other rare diseases as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So, obviously, you know, the research into the rare diseases, it seems to be progressing but again you know we we've, we've identified some really uh, valid obstacles what does the future hold
1: yeah so i think you know there it's really important um to be an, a rare disease advocate i think um you know that's something that that i have done you know in uh, in washington dc on capitol hill they have a, a rare diseases week on capitol hill Uh, where, you know, lots, hundreds, you know, maybe even a couple thousand rare disease advocates from all around the country come and advocate for things that benefit the rare disease community as a whole. You know, things like increased funding for FDA and for NIH, where they do so much rare disease research, increased, um, you know, state Medicaid expansion so that we're ensuring that those families, you know, whatever state they live in, that they have access and coverage for, you know, specialist visits and, you know, hospital stays and things like that. Um, so I think that there's there's a lot of work that still needs to be done because there are so many individuals out there who are impacted by rare diseases. Um, but I also think that there's there's hope. You know, I think that the more we can shine a light on the impact of rare disease as a whole, you know, when you think about how many um, you know, how many parents are going on these diagnostic odysseys where they're having so many appointments, so many hospital stays, just looking for an answer. So then we look towards, okay, how can we get to a diagnosis earlier? And one of those programs that can help get a diagnosis earlier is our newborn screening programs. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of advocacy around ensuring that we're screening for the right disorders, you know, at birth with the, the, the heel stick, you know, the blood drop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just for an example, so my son was born in Missouri and his condition was not picked up on newborn screening. Now, one of the disorders that is screened for that's on this panel called the Recommended Uniform Screening Panel is called X-linked adrenal And that disorder, they do that very long chain fatty acid blood test. So if a state screens for that disorder, the abnormal very long chain fatty acid test is gonna flag and then they would kind of know to look right away for something like a paroxysomal disorder. So when, when Hans was born in 2017, Missouri didn't screen for that. Um, but because of advocacy that happens at the state level and at the federal level, um, that particular disorder, the X-linked adrenal is on Missouri's screening now. So it's really through like the grassroots advocacy that you can have a real impact and you can um, have a really profound impact on a family's life just by getting that diagnosis earlier through something simple as newborn screening. Um, So I think there's, you know, there's things like that where as a rare disease community, we can come together and really impact change. Um, but I think on just like a personal level, you know, for, for someone out there who's just thinking about, like, you know, how can I be a rare disease advocate or how can I support people in my community who might have a rare disease? And I think it's just that. I think it's, you know, whether it's on social media, whether it's on the local news, whether it's someone at your your work, whether it's someone at your child's school, chances are there are people in your community that are impacted by a rare disease And I think that doing what we can to rally around those families and support them um, and just stand in solidarity with them really means a lot. Um, So I think that, you know, there's things that we can all do kind of on a big picture advocacy level, but then also just on a everyday, you know, local advocacy level as well.
0: Definitely. Well, let's take our last break. We'll be right back. We are in our final segment this morning. We have Chris Ostertag here from OSF Healthcare. Chris had a son, Hans, who had a rare disease and unfortunately um, passed away from the disease. Chris and his family are now advocates for rare disease and, you know, kind of important that we are airing the, the show this week because February 29th Tell us about that again.
1: Yep. So February 29th, the last day of February this year, is Rare Disease Awareness Day. So every year, the last day of February is a Rare Disease Awareness Day, and it's just a day that shines a light on everyone that's impacted by rare disease, um, which around the world accounts for about one in every ten people. You know, so it's not so rare after all. And I think one of the ways that you know we can kind of celebrate Rare Disease Day is by uh, showing your stripes. So there is this, uh, the zebra is kind of the, the rare disease symbol or mascot, if you will. And the reason that came to be is there used to be this this old medical school uh, kind of saying when it came to, to diagnosing that when you hear hoofbeats, think horses. So the idea being, you know, think to what's the most likely outcome or the most likely reason that something's going on. Um, but of course, zebras have hoofs as well as horses. And, and so I think the, the lesson there is really it's not always a horse. Sometimes it's a zebra. And, you know, zebras also have their unique pattern, you know, for each zebra. Um, so it just is kind of a fun way to to celebrate rare disease, just showing your stripes and wearing your stripes to stand in solidarity with those impacted by rare disease.
0: Okay, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you for sharing about Hans. We, you know, again, I hate that you had to experience something like that. Um, but your family being advocates now and really working to help families. Again, you know, you and I probably have the means. We, you know, we the access and. Um, the genetic history, that type of thing. So many people don't. So thank you for sharing this morning. It was a really interesting topic. I I think we could talk about this for hours. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank your family for what you're doing and just bringing awareness to rare disease. We appreciate that. Audience, we will be back in the morning with another show. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.